Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for Muncie First Brethren Church with Pastor Jim Garrett. This week we continue the series in the Gospel of John. Men had constructed their framework of what they wanted, but Jesus didn't fit that framework. But instead of rejecting their framework, they rejected Jesus. Here's Pastor Garrett. That expression of surrender is, is always the invitation that God gives to us to, to know and then to acknowledge by yielding and allowing him to work and, and to continue to reveal himself. That's what we were looking at last week with this expression of the word. The, the description of it, the word became flesh is going to be the, the kind of the uh, consummation of that discussion and that he dwelt among us that he gives life, and, and it was this creative word, it was this powerful word that was, uh, it says the word was God and the word was with God, both at the same time. And, and it shouldn't be that surprising to see that kind of mystery revealed and unveiled for us, but John, John comes to us telling us from uh, in, at the end of the letter that he is writing this so that we will believe, that we will take God at his word, that we will have life through the one that was promised. He says all of these signs that Jesus did, there were many more, but, but the signs that are revealed are, are to be that, that gathering of evidence so that your belief isn't blind. It's not something that is just... Uh, uh, found in religion, but is, but is connected to a person in the context of relationship. And that's what we see un, uh, unfolding before us. God and the extension of his hand through grace and truth, through the person of Jesus, calling us into relationship. And it becomes a dynamic call because it, it's, it, it is confined and prescribed and... and kind of exclusively given in the person of Jesus. And it is that exclusive message that is offered to all. So that becomes an exciting aspect of, of everything that we look at. He, he, he says that creation is, is by the word. God spoke it into place. I, I was watching, uh, and, and it's not completely recent, I think it's a couple years old, but it was a debate between John Lennox, and if you're interested in seeing some of his teaching and, and discussions, you can just, I, I'm seeing it on YouTube, so it's John Lennox, and then you'll see the choices come up. But in this particular debate, he was debating a man by the name of Peter Atkins, who, who um, has it been a very prominent figure within the atheistic movement, that there is no God, it's nonsense, and and he probably doesn't get as much traction simply because he's just not as nice about it. If, if you believe in God, you are nonsensical, irrational, and, and, and you have some, some uh, issues to take care of. But in the midst of this debate, he had written a book that, uh, and, the, and the moderator of the debate said, in your most recent book, you wrote that several times that nothing rolled over into something. And, and he acknowledged that before there was something in our universe, there was absolutely nothing. And he does mean absolute, not like Lawrence Krauss that I quoted last week, who, 
who his idea, his concept of nothing is not the absence of everything. There, there, there's something present that kind of comes together and then the something that we know emerges. Uh, he even said that was foolishness, that, that there was absolutely nothing and then there was something. But this is the dilemma that the world finds itself in in, in these uh, in the descriptions and the terms that are now used to, to look at the material world. To acknowledge that there was a beginning and that something was there. And, and again, his description is that nothing had movement and rolled into something. And John Lennox challenged that and he said, how can you believe this? And he says, well, because we know now we have something. We know that before there was something, there was nothing. So nothing had to do this. Well, how does nothing do that? But you see, when you isolate and exclude the possibility for any kind of supernatural involvement or any kind of, uh, of directed process at the, at the simplest uh, explanation, then that's what you're left with. The material and the materialist explanation for us having anything in the universe is that nothing had to produce uh, excuse me, produce something, which we know is nonsense. But nonetheless, that was, that was the adherence and, and was not backing down from those things. So John says, no, we know that it came through, the, through God and then that Jesus was the agency of that creation. We're going to start in verse 3 of John chapter 1. So we got through verse chapter 3. We're ready for verse chapter 4. Um, but this was, this was that statement that everything was created by him and for him. And Colossians 1.16 says that. Hebrews 1 talks about the fact that it's through Christ that, and his word that everything is sustained and, and, and is ongoing. There's wonderful descriptions that fit with the evidence. And that was, that was part of the dilemma, is that there is absolutely no evidence anywhere for the existence of God. And while we know that there's plenty of evidence, the, the kind of evidence that is present within the world around us, it's dismissed and, and uh, even avoided, because it, is, it, it does represent a, a supernatural cause. It represents that which is beyond the material world. It's not surprising to us. That's what it would take to create material things. It's something that's not material, immaterial, that, that is beyond time and, and, and would even defy those material explanations. But in verse 4, it says, in him was life. And, and that life was the light of men. So we have this expression of, of creation, and then this is how we know. This is the revelation of what is given, that now in the midst of that darkness, God has shown up and he's given us a reason to understand and, and the, the, the opportunity to understand and to know who he is. And notice that it's not just coming from, from this position of just you know, see me, acknowledge me, and, and, and go on. It's, no, see how I am expressing myself. That is, it is defined, it is with a purpose, and it is always in the context of relationship. 
So in verse 5, yeah, it looks like you just have to do it, Chris, from back there. In verse 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it or understood it. There is this nuanced meaning here with that Greek word that, that actually it, it kind of carries with it both, uh, uh, both connotations. The idea of not overcoming it, the darkness never wins, the light when it is there, everything is defined by the presence of that light. But the darkness seeks to, to keep its own definitions, even when the light is present. And we're going to see that described later in this chapter. We'll see it in chapter 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He said, here's the verdict. The light has come into the world. But the darkness, they, they're so, so impressed with the darkness that they will not. They will not acknowledge the light nor come to that light, but in fact, they will try to remove the light to make it darkness. Going on into verse 6, he, he wants to explain, and, and again, not sure why John the Baptist comes into this discussion at this moment, but he says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Go ahead and move forward. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. This is the first statement of purpose that we've seen that, that agrees with what we, we found in, in John chapter 20. Why was John the Baptist sent? So that he could bear witness to the one who was sent as an expression and revelation of who God is so that we would believe in him. And John's going to say that later. We'll see him again uh, uh, mentioned here again in chapter 3. He's the one that's going to say, behold the Lamb of God. He's not going to point to himself. He's going to say, in fact, that I'm not even worthy to, to, to loosen or tighten his sandals. I'm, but I am appointed to direct people to him so that they might believe. This is an important an important understanding as we go through this gospel. Because as, as the signs are presented and the statements of Jesus, when he goes through these I am statements, and some of them are just standalone, before Abraham was, I am. That was, that was revolutionary. It, it, was a, it was a phenomenal moment. And, and a mind-boggling moment to those who were listening because he was employing and applying truth about God that was reserved for God to himself. They understood what was being said. They understood the implications of that. And, and they also tried to then uh, uh, apply the consequences, which meant that they needed to further try to, to, to destroy Jesus, to destroy that message. And interestingly, it was always the religious leaders of the day who were first and foremost those who would pursue him. It's always dangerous within the construct of religion to, to, to in fact, build up something that is not consistent with what God has revealed. And, and many of those forms and many of those expressions are, are simply the places where we find that we're comfortable, and, and that's not what God has called us to. He certainly will, will, by design, 
make us fit, uh, uh, if you will, into those expressions, but that's not our goal. The goal is to draw close to him, draw close to one another, and out of that goal, then we find that we have those expressions. That's the religious expression that is very fitting. It's what should be. But they had constructed their religion around what they thought would fit them and what framework they had had thought would be best. And when Jesus didn't fit into that framework, then what did they want to do? Not change their framework, but get rid of Jesus. And those become very important moments. And we'll find it very early on, by the time we get to John 3, Nicodemus is a religious leader who comes to Jesus by night, wanting to ask questions, and, 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 of, and of course, I think, fairly and rightly speculate why he came by night, acknowledging that he's a man sent by God. No one can do what you do unless that were true. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You can't save yourself. What God is offering is unique to God and given through his Son. Because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That would have been hard for Nicodemus and the religious leaders of that day anyway. They wanted to determine who was fit for salvation. And God said, I will make everyone fit for salvation when accepting the offer of life that comes through Jesus. John the Baptist was pointing to that fact. He wasn't the light. He came bearing witness. Go to verse 8. He himself was not that light. He wasn't the one that, through whom that salvation could be secured or offered. It was He uh, only came as a witness to it. And then in verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And John the Baptist was that forerunner, certainly a, a reflection of of the, the role of Elijah. That's what he was called because he was, was one who would prepare the people for the way of God. That was what Elijah did. He wanted them to know and be informed about, uh, as a prophet, what, what is God's standard? Why is he moving in this way? What is he telling you about what will be as a result of that? That was always Elijah's role. The people didn't often listen. They didn't want to follow him. And in the same way, he was that, he was that one who, who was called to make those paths smooth. Because they are rough paths without God's truth, without God's standard. And so that's what John the Baptist would, would be called to do, to bear witness to that light that was being sent into the world. Let's move on to verse 10. Because this gets back to Jesus then as that light. He, his name's not mentioned yet. And notice that he's just being described as the word, the Logos, who was, uh, uh, was God and was with God. And you have this, this expression then, well, he, he, there's a purpose that's being fulfilled. There's something that's being, being put on display. And if, by the way, it's not true that through him, all, the, all those creative aspects, if that's not true, it's hard to, to, to approach him as the Savior, and that's part of John's point in writing this. If all authority is not present in him, as he will describe in several places throughout the Gospel of John, 
then it's hard for him to, to say, then salvation is through me alone. But, but think of the words of John 13, knowing that he was going to go to the Father, that he had come from the Father, that he had all authority. He washed their feet. Everything was defined by him, and, and, and then he served them in that way because he said, when, when I'm gone, this is what you have to be. This is who you are to be as, as my followers, as those who are attached to me. In verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It's... it's so I, this, this verse just causes me to pause a little bit. Because this, this expression of the fact that he is the agent of creation, John said they didn't even recognize him as such. And the part that intrigues me is that we see that very thing in, in trying to distance ourselves from from the, the design of the world and all that that means, the implications of, uh, of all the precision, all the knowledge, all the information, whether it's in the DNA or the universe, and we see both. When I talked about, uh, about the, the, the DNA molecule and that long word that's 3.5 billion characters long, made up of four letters, essentially, and, and, and providing all of that information and all of that, that purpose and and, and when, then we look at the universe and the precision there. It says, even though he was the one who made all of this happen, the world did not recognize him. They didn't acknowledge him. And so we find that when he's dismissed as the creator, he's dismissed as the savior. And, and I don't know that it always ha has to go that way, but, but Satan's very clever. If you can remove God from, from the, the big questions of purpose, you get to remove God from the eternal questions of purpose. And unfortunately, we, we see that happen. In that debate that I mentioned previously, it was a very uh, poignant moment when John Lennox was explaining the, the essence of his faith based on the evidence of those who were there for the resurrection of Jesus. And, and the camera was back far enough that you could see the responses from, from Peter Atkins, and, and he was rolling his eyes and throwing his head back. And, and, and then as John finished that, he exclaimed, using the name of Jesus as profanity, to say, nobody here believes for a moment, that Jesus was raised from the dead, looking at the audience. There's not any evidence for his resurrection. Nobody believes that nonsense. And John said, Peter, that's not true. I just cited the evidence. Oh, you're, you're going to use the gospel writers. We don't even know. And, and began to say things that, quite surprisingly, was, was not fact, but, but was certainly a part of the argument against. And in a nutshell, you, you find out that this is a, a bigger expression of the world around us. Dismiss him from creation, it's easy to dismiss him 
from salvation. So in verse 11, he, it goes on to say, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. They weren't, they weren't embracing him. But it says in verse 12, and we'll stop with verse 12, because this is one of those transitional moments. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, so what does it mean to receive Jesus? To believe in his name. He gave the right to become the children of God. Not until then. Even as expressions of his creation, we are not his children in relationship until we see and receive the revelation by faith that is given in Jesus Christ alone. And that's why we are, are always, when, when someone says, well, I believe in God, I'm just not sure I have to believe in Jesus. You know, Peter kind of doubles down on this in his letter when he says, it's only through Jesus that you believe in God. You can believe that he exists. You can believe that he's there. You can believe lots of things about him. But you can't know him until you receive, by faith, the Son. Now, we still don't have Jesus given by name yet, do we? We have the Word. He's light to all men. He's life to all people. And He's offered. He's given. So that to all that receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gives the right to become children of God. It's coming. You're going to know who this is. And again, uh, knowing and, and with our, our understanding that John wrote this probably about 80, 85 AD, perhaps at the, at the latest, we have this expression of it doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And unless you have life in him, you have no life at all. Jesus will say that in John chapter 6 when we get there. Remember, it's on the heels of the question, what must we do to do the works that God requires of us? Well, God only requires one thing, Jesus said, to believe on the one he has sent. And let me tell you what believe means. Unless you have life in me, unless you have participated, partaken of this bread, of who I am in the flesh and my blood, the, the blood of the covenant, accepted what God says has to be true, you have no life at all. Those will become and sound like harsh words, but they're, they're the best words ever because it's all defined, it's precise, it's for everybody, and you don't have to go through many doors. You got one door, the door of Jesus Christ. So John's laying that groundwork. When we go to verse 13, I'll just... We'll make it a transition because they, they connect here and it goes to verse 14. These are children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. He, he lists all these authorities from the, the natural world to the, to, the, to, the, to the world of relationships and in terms of husband and wife. Says this isn't a birth that's conducted or is a, a consequence of any of those choices. This is by God alone. 
And so he is laying this, this, this out. Who are you going to trust? Where is your confidence going to be? In what the world tells you God is or God isn't, or in what God says he is? And, and as well, what God says he isn't. And so when John lays this before us, who are you going to trust? The word that becomes flesh and dwells among us, that God wants us so much that he would, he, he would take on this human form so that we can know more and more what it means to be his? Or are you going to trust a system that says, well, you don't really know, you just... Try to do your best, and if there is a God, you hope that you've done what is necessary, but most likely there isn't a God, so you eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And that's not a new philosophy, that's an age-old philosophy. Ecclesiastes says it over and over again. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. If there's no resurrection, if there's no truth in Jesus, eat, drink, and be merry. And I'm going to tell you, if it's not true, that's what I would tell you. But because it's true, we get to do what Paul says after that. Know that our work, who we are, is not in vain. It's not empty. It has meaning and purpose. He has fulfilled that, and we get to live in that purpose, trusting all that God is for us and to us in Jesus Christ. So take him at his word. There's more to get excited about. This is certainly a, a, it would fall under the category of theology, but it is very practical because it, it requires you to take God at his word at the point that he says, this is truth. You may not understand it. You may not understand how God can be both, or, or Jesus can be both human and divine, but he is. You may not understand how he can be God and be with God at the same time, but he is. I guess I, I'm not sure that I would want a God that fits my framework of understanding. That would probably scare me. And, and, and I'm glad that the God we, we are called to believe in and to love is one who says, I want you. I, I, I'm capable of anything. And what I, what I want is you. And when we get to John 4 with the woman at the well and we see that this is what God seeks, those who will worship him in spirit and truth, that's what he's after. I want to be in a place that he pursues me. Let's take him at his word together. Let's worship this God who has loved us and given us life in Jesus Christ. One little quote to finish. This is from D.A. Carson, a, a commentator, teacher, still, still with us, and does a great job. But he says, in short, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. And the person personification of that word makes it suitable for John to apply it as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure the person of his own son, Jesus Christ. So that's what we're asked to believe, to take him at his word, to trust him in Jesus. Father, may that be true of us, taking you at your word, trusting you, and then learning to trust you more. 
not running from the things or running away because we don't understand something, but, but embracing you because of what you have made clear. I don't even understand how you could love me so much that you would send your son to die for my sins, but you said you did. I don't understand how the blood satisfies all of those righteous demands and, and covers me, but it does. I don't understand how and why you would give me eternal life and this relationship with you that does indeed last forever, but you have. But Father, I, I'm going to take you at your word and trust you and thank you for the life you have given. And Father, if there are any here who, for whatever reason or in some way, are waiting for proof of some sort, I pray that you would open their eyes to see Jesus and the proof and evidence of your love. The fullness of that love demonstrated in that you sent your son to die for us while we were still sinners. You didn't ask us to clean up first, but to accept and to receive what you have, have already given. Father, help us. Lead us. And if there be any here who need to give their heart to you, Father, I pray that right now, in this moment, that would be uh, exactly what would take place. Trusting you for the life you have given. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.